Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast, episode number four. My name is Arma Grigic and I'll be your host today. Joining me today is Niels Zeilemaker from uh, GoData Driven. He is CTO there. Welcome, Niels. Welcome. Thank you. I would like to uh, start off with uh, knowing a little bit about your background. So how did you get into IT? Oh, so that's, uh, that's a long story, I would say. So uh, I think, uh, I don't know how old I was, but uh, like around 10-ish, I would say, uh, my mother brought in uh, a computer at, at the home and I was instantly hooked to uh, computer gaming and that sort of stuff. Uh, so during uh, high school, I would say uh, a real interest in programming developed. And then, uh, yeah, after high school, obviously, uh, I started doing the bachelor's, uh, computer science, etc., etc. So that was my official start of uh, my IT career, I would say. Okay. And um, were you, so you were really interested in that uh, as a kid, right? Yeah. So, so that's uh, what, what, what did that uh, go into? Is that only the gaming part or is it actually also the, the tinkering with computers and stuff like that? No, so tinkering, yes, yeah. I would say. Uh, programming, programming, not so much initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tinkering uh, a lot. So uh, disassembling, uh, uh, upgrading PCs, etc. That that uh, developed early on. Okay. But um, I would say programming came came a bit later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. And what what did you uh, what did you start in when you were programming? I think I started with a bit of uh, Visual Basic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, most people do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nice and easy. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, how did you get to, uh, to go, the, go Data Driven? How did you start uh, there? So actually, uh, okay, so uh, after my bachelor's, I did a master's and a PhD. Okay. Uh, and then uh, when I was almost finishing the PhD, uh, a former classmate of mine, Ron, he, uh, he was a classmate of The Bachelor. Okay. And uh, he told me, uh, oh, I heard that you were looking for a job. Uh, you should consider uh, Goddess Driven. Okay. Because he was working there at the time. He still is. And uh, so I had a talk to the, to the guys at uh, GDD and uh, it was a good fit. So I, and that's why I chose to uh, join uh, Goddess Driven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, what, what spoke to you about it when you were... Uh, when you were thinking about joining uh, GDD, so uh, so my PhD was in parallel computing. Okay. So I think the big data space was kind of obvious. Um, and then I was talking to a couple uh, companies, um, some larger ones, uh, but I was really attracted to the fact that the got it driven at the time was a really small company uh, with what I felt like was really bright people uh, working there. Uh, and that that made it basically convinced me to join uh, Goddard Driven. Yeah. Because how many people were working there at the time? I think uh, ten. Okay. Yeah. And now you're at? I think now we're more or less forty. So yeah. Yeah. okay. Yeah, that's that's a nice size. <laughs> let's let's put it like that. Um, so uh, c- could you tell the listeners a little bit about what GoData Driven does? So what what do you guys do in a daily uh, in a daily basis? Yeah, so we're a consultancy company uh, focusing on the big data space. Okay. Uh, so we have uh, basically two types of people, maybe now three. Uh, so the big data engineers uh, and the data scientists. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the middle, there's this new thing we call machine learning engineers, which are basically a bridge between uh, the engineer and the data scientist. Um, 
And then we we do big data projects, let's say, for the top 100 uh, companies in the Netherlands. Okay. Um, So larger corporations. And then those uh, those projects, they range from uh, small PUCs uh, doing small data science models uh, to uh, really big, uh, let's develop a new big data platform uh, where we can uh, deploy and monitor uh, data science models in production and uh, all the stuff around it. Uh, Okay. And uh, could you tell a little bit about how Go Data Driven started? So uh, how how did it come about to to start that that company at all? Yeah, so I think officially we started five years ago, maybe a bit more. Uh, but unofficially, uh, it started a bit earlier. So basically, uh, the then CTO Friso, mm-hmm. together with Rob, uh, my current boss still, um, they did a couple jobs in the big data space. I think they installed the first uh, Ball.com Hadoop cluster, and they oh, did really? a couple of those uh, those projects uh, while still being employed by Xebia. So Xebia has this. Uh, yeah, so basically, Code Driven is still part of the Xebia group, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea of the Xebia group is that um, if you have a good idea, you can pitch it to the big boss, Dan, and then if he likes it, you can start a company out of it. Okay. So Friso had some experiences with this uh, big data technology yeah, from Ball. Then pitched this idea to Dan. Dan liked it as well, and they uh, basically made a company out of it. Mm. Him uh, together with uh, with Rob. Okay, yeah, yeah that's cool because uh, that means that uh, whatever uh, Xavier thinks is maybe the new thing to to do, uh, and you have that idea to start something with that, they give you the opportunity to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's more or less the other way around. So okay. if if it if it comes from within the organization, so okay. the, the idea is that uh, if uh, people have an itch, uh, they want to go in a certain direction, uh, and that direction seems interesting for the CBA group as well, uh, yeah, we'll just give them the chance to uh, to uh, yeah go forth with this idea it, and yeah. explore and yeah. uh, and make a company out of it. Because cool. the reasoning behind it is that uh, if you don't give people that opportunity. They will just leave, and then it will be a loss for the the group altogether. Yeah, because it could be a very in in uh, some cases it could be a really big. It could become a really big company because it has a good idea. Yeah, and yeah. you just let it walk. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no. So, um, so actually, uh, I think one of the companies actually got sold a while back. CBL Labs, okay. and it actually went from a from a small idea, similar to to Godet Driven. To uh, yeah, a really big company with uh, I think employing uh, like 150 people and uh, yeah. yeah, eventually yeah. being sold. Yeah. And um, looking at the types of clients, yeah, you mentioned the top 100 companies in 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 the Netherlands. Uh, what are they like? What what do they kind of have in the in the space of um, in in the space of big big data? So uh, could you have a, uh, an example for the listeners just to? get a little bit of a sense of what kind of projects that are okay so let's let's start with the with the clients yeah uh, i would say uh it's a really broad range of clients eh? so you uh the, probably the clients you would expect so the big financial institutions so ing abn rabobank that sort of stuff uh but also going to the e-commerce side so uh, baycomp or bull.com or uh yeah basically everything in between uh myself i'm currently now at a project at heineken uh where yeah it's a slightly maybe a slightly new type project but basically we're creating a new department there actually so it's okay. not just 
using new technology to solve problems, but we're actually creating a new way of working uh, called uh, the Insight Lab. And uh, we're doing really short running uh, pilot projects, basically, where we try to see if there's value in a particular piece of data. And if there is, we start an actual industrialization project and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you zoom down a bit more, so what, what we actually did there is uh, we basically designed a new platform to use within Heineken. Uh, and this, this platform uh, allows data scientists to work on a, uh, basically a big machine there. Uh, okay. Uh, maybe combined with a Hadoop cluster. Uh, develop their data science model, and eventually we were actually running those models uh, inside Docker containers and uh, yeah, testing them out. Okay. Um, if you if you if you look a bit a bit more to the let's say more traditional projects like uh, stuff we do with ING, then it's uh, uh, basically developing pipelines uh, using, uh, for instance, Airflow, which is now a popular tool to schedule a lot of ingestion jobs, monitor them, and uh, basically make sure that data ends up at, in a Hadoop platform, but also uh, gets uh, processed and converted into different formats. And uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, looking at the the work you're doing at uh, Heineken in this case. Um, so you mentioned that it's kind of short running. Uh, is it like? Could I see it like something like really experimenting and it could fail, but it could also work? Or do, do I? Yeah. Do I so it? I think uh, fail fast is uh, is the primary driver there. Okay. So uh, it's it's a small project. Also the the uh, the aim is not to uh, make the best looking code or the best maintainable code. It's yeah. it's just to show the value of the data mm-hmm. and the, maybe the modeling approach. And then once that's proven its worth, yeah. uh, we actually destroy most of the code base and make an actual, let's say, engineering project out of it. Yeah, because you do kind of a proof, proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. Basically. And, and even uh, within, uh, so we, we define six weeks as a time span. So three sprints of two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can imagine that within these six weeks, also the, the scope shifts a lot. So the code base, uh, how hard you will try, it will always be need to be rewritten. Cool. Um, so that's basically uh, from the get-go, we say, okay, we're going to build something. It's probably going to run at the end. Eh? <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, uh, hopefully. In, in some way. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but we still need to rebuild it uh, if we actually want to continue with it. Okay. And uh, because when you do that proof of concept and you're, you're done with it, uh, it becomes in most cases if it if it's viable it will become an engineering project um how big are the teams when you are working on that proof of concept for example yeah so it's uh it's basically a single data scientist okay uh working together with a with an engineer but the engineer shared over multiple projects so i guess it was like 20 percent engineering time okay and um what do you think about the the buzz that has been uh, uh, has been revolving around big data for a while now? Uh, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's thinking, okay, uh, big data, we got to do it. But actually, not a lot of people are doing it. Uh, do you think it's overhyped, or the the amount of capabilities that you can uh, can achieve with having big data, or or do you think otherwise? Yeah, it's a bit difficult for me to say. I would say in uh, in general, uh, I think for the clients we actually encountered, 
typically they have something which resembles big data. Yeah. So there, I think having a dupe cluster and all this additional infrastructure does make sense. Uh, Maybe if you look a bit broader to the, the smaller corporations in the Netherlands, it, do- it doesn't always make sense. Yeah. And also, I think now uh, with the, like this quick uh, growth of the cloud, let's say, uh, uh, you see this new trend, which is just a big fat machine, right? Uh, mm. In Amazon, I can spin a VM with uh, 256 gigabytes of memory uh, in five minutes. Uh, you need to have quite a bit of data to make it not fit in 256 uh, gigabytes of memory. Yeah. I think that's also something of uh, something current. Uh, if you are able to do something in the cloud and uh, you don't have a lot of big data or not really big data, yeah. I think these big machines uh, are a good solution as well. Yeah, because you you um, you talked about it a little bit before we started the podcast. Um, the, the, the clients that you do have, uh, are they... Uh, mostly on the cloud or are they uh, more on-premise or yeah i I would say mostly cloud okay yeah Yeah. um so how do you guys incorporate things like because there's a lot of buzz around ai as well Uh, how how do you incorporate those things like ai and predictive modeling into what you do with your with big data what what do you do with that do you have any project that you incorporate that in Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. So uh, I think uh, um, there's basically two approaches there. Uh, uh, typically, uh, you have like a batch uh, machine learning model. Uh, uh, every night uh, we compute all the recommendations. Uh, for instance, at MPO. Uh, so uh, we were at MPO. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Dutch, Dutch broadcasters. They have a website, and on this website, there's uh, you can view uh, TV episodes from last week. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a recommendation engine on that website. We actually built it for them. Uh, and this this recommendation uh, for every user of the MPO site, we pre-compute the recommendation once a day, every night, basically. Uh, and then this this uh, this cached list, let's say the output of this recommendation is used to generate online. Uh, if you look at a particular episode, you want to get a recommendation for what to view next. Basically, this pre-computed list is used. Uh, that sort of machine learning... Um, I think uh, we do quite a lot. Mm. Uh, That's been there for a while as well. We yeah, yeah, in the retail space and uh, yeah. No, so recommenders are quite uh, quite, yeah, common. quite quite common, I would say. Yeah. And I think for a recommender, this is a common approach. Yeah. Um, and then the other the other side of the spectrum, I would say, is this Docker uh, thing, which mm-hmm. is relatively new. Yeah. Uh, so we've been doing it for quite a while now, uh, but now you see, like, uh, if you talk about cloud, there's now adoption from the cloud platforms as well to to enable this uh, to do this more easily. So yeah. there's stuff like AWS SageMaker, which allows you to basically, uh, yeah, host these models and, uh, and get, let's say, near real time predictions. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And. Um, uh, there's of course there's a lot of ai going around um how do you feel that the state of ai is at the moment uh, looking at everybody's talking about okay ai 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 uh, but i don't have a feeling that people are really uh, getting into what it really is right so they're saying artificial intelligence but it's actually always based on something data uh, data driven or uh, something that someone uh, really programs. Uh, where do you think we're at? At, at, uh, at what, what stage are we uh, in that whole AI process? What, what do you think? 
Uh, it's a tricky one. So for me, AI is almost a marketing term. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, okay. If you would make the distinction between machine learning and AI, maybe I would make it in a way that, let's say, machine learning is the more traditional approach to data science. So uh, linear regressions, random forests, uh, maybe a bit more hip uh, than that, but uh, mm. more the traditional space. And then AI would be everything deep, uh, deep learning, something, something. Um, I think what you what you see now more recently with this deep learning stuff is pre-trained networks, which is a really interesting uh, uh, um, idea or uh, technique. Yeah. Wherein basically uh, Google has invested uh, countless of hours of uh, CPU cycles to train these models, and uh, you as a or we uh, as a yeah. company yeah. basically use this pre-trained model to uh, to tailor it basically. Yeah modified slightly to be applicable to uh to a problem we encounter at the client um so that could be ai but yeah. i'm not sure if it is yeah but you're not doing it at the moment for any clients or uh so we're actually doing this for uh, royal flora holland mm-hmm. um so royal flora holland is the, basically the flower exchange in the netherlands okay. in Alsmeer. um so what we did there is actually we um they have a project where they want to, uh, let's say, motivate or incentivize uh, the growers of the plants okay. to upload nicer pictures, accompanying their uh, uh, the plants, basically. Okay. Uh, because this this uh, uh, traditional def- the, these growers they they s- they sell their flowers on the stock or on this auction, mm-hmm. but it's a um, it's an offline auction almost, right? Uh, people know each other. People know each other's reputation. So the pictures were not that important because um, you just know, okay, this particular grower is selling this particular brand. Every time I buy from this guy, it's the quality be the has been great. Yeah. yeah? So that, that basically, there's no need for a picture. Uh, but now, because they are also moving to an online space, they, there's much more need for pretty pictures. Yeah. Uh, so what we did is actually uh, we want to see a couple different types of pictures being uploaded by the growers. Uh, one uh, like like an overview uh, uh, picture, one with a ruler next to it. Uh, one. Oh really? So even how big it is? <laughs> nah, yeah. So uh, it seems I don't know why, but they, they seem to want to uh, have a picture with a ruler there. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a couple more examples there. So some uh, a bit of a uh, uh, like a detailed uh, picture, uh, you can get what I'm saying. Yeah. So basically what we did uh, there is um, we took a pre-trained model, uh, VGG16 in this case, um, and basically made a mo- uh, yeah, basically made it such uh, that uh, that it worked for detecting uh, a ruler on a picture or oh, if really? it's actually, and that, that that's, uh, let's say, I would say, uh, a couple of years ago, this would be a huge undertaking. Yeah. If you do this traditionally with uh, something like OpenCV, you would need a PhD in Im- image recognition, et cetera, et cetera. But now with this uh, transfer learning, uh, most of the time actually uh, is wasted on basically generating the trained test sets. So yeah, making a small, uh, uh, a small subset of data wherein some pictures have a ruler some pictures don't yeah. and you pass it to the the model you wait uh, like five minutes and it's done yeah so typically yeah really it, i think that's yeah that's that's the power of this uh transfer learning that 
yeah, it's just a black box. You don't need to do much else than, uh, yeah. than categorize or make this dead set. Yeah, and the and the big players are already starting to do it, right? So the for example, the image recognition part. Uh, if you look at uh, AWS, they they already have services that you just upload your picture to, for example, recognition, oh. and it will just recognize what's in the picture, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and is that something that uh, clients also ask from you, so uh, that they say, okay. Uh, let's make it, we're on this and this cloud, for example. For example, we use Google Cloud or we use Azure or we use AWS. And we only want to use what they already have and don't just use something that's open source and create a lot of uh, big cluster or whatever. Do they really ask that or are they still a little bit hesitant uh, in that in that sense of where the data goes and stuff like that? Okay, so there's basically two questions. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so let's answer the first one. Yeah. Uh, do they push us to go, let's say, cloud native? Yeah. I don't think they do, actually. I think uh, we try to do a lot of cloud native stuff because it just makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about Hadoop clusters before. Yeah. Uh, if I'm on AWS, AWS, I would much rather spin an EMR cluster than get myself a couple of EC2 instances and try to install uh, Hadoop uh, 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 there. eh? uh, So um, Cloud Native makes a lot of sense in that that, uh, case. Um, But I I don't think we have clients which actually say only use Cloud Native. I think they agree with us that uh, you should try everything once. And if it doesn't fit, then just go open source and see if you can make that work better. And you're the expert, so yeah. <laughs> it so makes uh, sense. and uh, uh, there's loads of developments. So um, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's bound to be uh, if you look at what we're, tools we're now using and the tools we'll use in the, in the next half year. Probably already a couple of our open source tools will mm. be yeah, replaced by cloud native stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically how it goes in our business. And and are they hesitant? Because are they hesitant with their data? Because that was the kind of the yeah the second, second question. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I yeah, financial institutions, of yes. course. Yeah. 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 Uh, others, not so much. No, I would say. Um, yeah, as long not as so much. as long as it's in Europe, right? In most cases. Yeah. So uh, typically, uh, we just use uh, a data center uh, which is close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And do uh, yeah, same stuff like uh, uh, encryption and rest and uh, all those uh, things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, for the setup or initial setup of a, of a cloud platform, we typically use, uh, let's say, a sister uh, company of ours, uh, mm. Bings, yep. uh, because they're experts there. Uh, so they, they set up the initial security and everything uh, around the platform, and then we build upon. Let's say this foundation being laid by these guys, uh, because yeah, there's just too many clouds, and it's re- really difficult for us to be a, a big data expert, mm. uh, but also a cloud expert. So yeah, you yeah. have to outsource some. And um, because we touched on it a little bit, uh, where do you feel we are going, uh, like in the future? Because uh, we have this big data. We we talked about this a little, a little bit about AI and machine learning and stuff like that. What, what what do you think the next step is after just the big data stuff? So we get the big data and what now? So what what do you think that that we're uh, what direction are we going there? Yeah. So I think there's uh, there's a clear trend to go cloud native. 
Yeah. Like like we said before, I, I don't think all tools are at the level we want them to be currently, but yeah. probably they will change a lot. What what do you which ones do you think? Yeah, so for instance, uh, so I, I told you before we we use uh, Apache Airflow a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice tool, but it's uh, it's not cloud native. That's for sure. I, I, except on uh, Google, they actually have this uh, <laughs> host Airflow now. But okay. Um, and so on AWS side, you could do a lot of with uh, lambdas currently to schedule tasks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'm missing, let's say, a dashboard with a lot of green points to show me everything is good. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I think there's there's this component missing currently, which gives me a nice overview of the uh, metrics of, and stuff. Uh, like yeah. That. No, yeah. Maybe not even just a central place wherein I can see if everything is okay or not. And you can do a lot with CloudWatch and uh, Cloud Metrics, yeah, yeah? yeah. But uh, it's still a custom solution. So, by if I'm already doing something custom, then might as well just do Airflow. Um, and then on the on the big data side, uh, currently Spark is still king. I would say uh, we do a lot of Spark, but also slowly that's maybe changing. Uh, so AWS Glue. Uh, basically allows you to do Spark, but probably in a bit it will allow you to do something else which might be more easy in Spark. Mm. Uh, and you see the same at uh, uh, on uh, Azure as well. So they have this uh, data factory where you can spin AZ inside clusters. Uh, so soon probably they will allow you to just run Spark. And uh, you see this tendency that Cloud Native is going to replace a lot of the, let's say the default Hadoop uh, stuff. Yeah, and the default like open source projects that already yeah exist, as well like, yeah, yeah 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 and uh, they they of course do that because they will add some features that the open source doesn't have so you're kind of vendor locked into the to their cloud right uh, that's that's what they usually do yeah so that that might be a sure. might be a strategy <laughs> uh, but but then again so we we get uh, that's that's a question I guess we we get quite often from uh, from clients uh, we in. don't wanna we don't wanna have any any lock in yeah. okay but uh, okay it's okay you don't want lock in. But you want okay. the best solution. <laughs> yeah, so what, what what do you want us to do then? Should we uh, should we spin our own Kafka cluster and yeah. not use Kinesis because Kinesis will get you a lock-in? Yeah. Yeah, then in the end, uh, they'll choose to use Kinesis. So it's, I think with, with, with some sensible um, uh, yeah, discussions or sensible thinking, uh, you could avoid cloud lock-in to some respect, but then again, yeah, once you're in a particular cloud, it doesn't really make sense to do this, eh? this EC2 Hadoop installation yeah. if you have EMR just yeah. a click, few clicks away. Yeah, yeah and that uh, that makes sense. I mean, uh, we've seen it in the past before uh, at, at my job as well, is uh, you, you're so easily attracted to, that, uh, to those things because they're easy, right? I mean, uh, if I want to store my files, I'll just use S3, right? Why, why would I do it on the file system? Especially when you have like a stateless application that doesn't save anything to the, yeah. to, to the file system, right? And then you get to the, okay, I want to move it to Azure or something like that. And, okay, I need to change, <laughs> change my application for that. So... Uh, getting back to that uh, to that thing, uh, so looking at the future of big data, you're uh, you're referring to okay, it will of course still still be there uh, because it it charges a lot of the future developments that we want to do, right? So, um, what what I would like to know as well is that 
since you became uh, a CTO at GoData Driven, what do you think the uh, the project is, or what what are you most proud of since you since you started in this job? That's also always the thing that I kind of say uh, a little bit at the end, just to know what uh, what what drove you and what uh, um, yeah what you were most proud of. What would you say that is? Uh, it's um, I think okay. So me as a as a person mm-hmm. uh, working for God Driven, I think. Um, what I like to do personally is see uh, what else we can use. So this, uh, for instance, this glue or uh, doing something with that factory or seeing if we, uh, SageMaker is now a new thing. Um, uh, I try to figure out how we could use that and mm-hmm. see uh, if we can use it at different projects and, and improve upon our current ways of working. Um, I think that's one of the things I bring to the table as a CTO. Yeah. Uh, but also uh, stuff... Um, uh, more related to internals of uh, Got It Driven. Uh, so we have this concept of uh, GTD Friday, so Got It Driven Friday, where we do some... Uh, uh, experimenting. Experimenting. Basically, everybody is allowed to do their own thing. Is it every Friday? No, so it's once a month. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would like to like it to be every Friday. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I would like... Uh, sure, uh, if, if you ask me, uh, I think every Friday would be a good idea. Yeah, but, okay, uh, that's logical. The, yeah. the finances are a bit... Uh, yeah, that, that's a big... Uh, that's another thing, yeah. Uh, but... So what I what I did during a couple of those GD Fridays is do uh, like uh, really like wacky things. Uh, so uh, I think a year ago we built a Ethereum miner uh, oh, cool. on these GD Fridays, and then uh, uh, a while back uh, we started building uh, uh, these donkey cars, which are these remote controlled cars with some TensorFlow, and you can train a deep learning model. Uh, okay. And so I, I try to basically. Uh, stimulate innovation or try to uh yeah basically get people to do this sort of stuff yeah um we launched uh the gd moonshots a while back uh, wherein basically we give uh, one person of the company two months uh, of let's say paid time to do a particular project uh without any business value per se um which uh, one is now more or less finished and we're going to start the next one uh, soon so uh, this really this innovation stuff within uh, GDD, I think that's uh, really picking up the last uh, over the last let's say year, and uh, yeah, I think that's also a big uh, change I'm proud of. Yeah. yeah, you do that because you want to motivate your uh, your people, right? I mean, it's it's mostly because um, it's not it's not that your normal work is dull. I mean, <laughs> you're doing pretty cool stuff, but uh, it it is mostly just the Having the change and not the obligation to uh, uh, to a client in this case, right? It's it's just trying stuff, seeing uh, what what we'll do. Actually, it's a little bit like you, what you do at Heineken, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of resembles that a little bit, right? Yeah, it's very yeah, it's very true. So I think uh, especially this GD moonshots, mm-hmm. I think uh, it comes down from uh, from my idea that okay, so if uh, we talked a bit about uh, productionizing machine learning models. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, what we do quite well at clients is, uh, I, I call that the last mile. Yeah? So I think a lot of companies in the Netherlands know how to give a data scientist uh, one year of his time to build the best data science model in the world. Yeah. Uh, but then once it's more or less finished, you need to bring it in production and then 
it's not possible because he used this crazy library which yeah. is dependent on GPUs. Uh, people have heard this before. Yeah. Uh, so I think one thing we do best is actually do a short-running project wherein uh, we create a pipeline which has a simple model but actually makes it to production within a relatively short time. Then we typically leave uh, the client with this uh, version 0.1 model, which is in there, uh, not typically exciting, but uh, can be easily replaced by something needing GPUs and all kinds of yeah, complexity. Yeah. But it's then at least it's already in production. Um, so uh, that hurdle has been, uh, been overcome. Uh, but for us as a company, what that means is that our data scientists are only almost always creating these version 0.1 type data science models. And never are able to do these crazy GPU-like uh, models. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in order to give them the opportunity to do crazy stuff as well, to waste some time in developing an overcomplicated model, uh, we came up with this idea and uh, allowed people to to actually uh, experiment. Experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would like to uh, to finish on that. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, uh, for the listeners, uh, you can uh, find the, the podcast on uh, iTunes. Uh, you can find it on SoundCloud as well. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, it's Bits VS Bytes, um, Twitter as well. Um, and I would like to t- thank you for listening. And until next time.